something that we are so excited about, and uh, Dr. David is here to deliver the news. Will you tell us this great news, please? Well, the great news... Can I turn that on for you? Is it on? There it is. Hey, the great news is in this past year, haven't you been blessed with such excellent teaching here at the Orchard? Aren't we blessed right now? And uh, hallelujah, to God be the glory faithfully going through the word verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And, and wouldn't it just be fantastic if people in, in some of the most primitive jungle villages of the world in one of the most primitive nations of the world could also hear the teaching right here at the orchard going through God's word. Well, I've got good news for you this morning. As of today, they are hearing this very teaching from the orchard in Vanuatu in the South Pacific, the most remote and primitive nation of the world where cannibalism is still being practiced. Tribal people are now listening to Pastor Daniel teaching through the Word of God right here at the orchard over Radio Vanuatu. So this little island nation, most of you know, in the South Pacific is about 7,500 miles from Carbondale. And did you know that in this nation there are about 113 different tribal languages? And yet very few of these languages have even any portion of the Bible in their own language. Most tribal villages don't have schools, electricity, vehicles, or churches, but that hasn't stopped the good news of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit getting out and people are coming to the Lord, churches are being formed, and people are being baptized. Jesus said, go into all the world and make the disciples of all nations. And right here at the orchard, we take this command very, very seriously. And that's why right now we're distributing solar-powered radios uh, throughout these little tribes to these more very remote areas. And that way new believers are growing in their faith as they're learning more about loving God and loving people. So will you pray for this exciting new missions ministry of the orchard? Will you pray for the ministry teams that are taking Pastor Daniel's teachings? And, and it's a long process, but they're getting it to Vanuatu. It's getting out over the air on Radio Vanuatu. In the last year, over 12 churches have been planted in villages where there has never been a church of any type. People are coming to the Lord, they're being baptized, and so now as the orchard reaches out to these different tribes and these different jungle villages through Radio Vanuatu, would you please continue to pray for this exciting new ministry. God bless you and thank you so much. <laughs> that is so cool. And Dr. David, thank you for your work on that. He has such a heart for missions and for Vanuatu, but how exciting is that for us as a church, right? I actually, the, the, one of the pastors that was, is down there in Vanuatu, his name's James Nicholson. He wrote me and he, he thanked us as a church and he, he was talking about what was going on and um, how they're playing it over their national radio. He sent me a picture of himself and he signed off like this. He said, Pastor James Nicholson, Orchard Vanuatu. I that was pretty cool. Isn't that great? Well, Orchard, let's get started. Let's jump right on in. I have a difficult question for you today, and I promise there's a reason for it, but I want us to wrestle with the emotion of this question. It's this. If you knew that you had only 12 hours to live, how would you spend those 12 hours? I imagine I would spend every 
second of that with my wife and kids. I would want to get all the I love yous and all the, all the snuggles in. And in those last moments, I, would, I wouldn't be able to stop telling my kids how much I love them. And, and I would want to impart to them some wisdom. Like, what do I say to them that would last them a lifetime? What could I say to them that would go beyond these 12 hours, that would go throughout their lives? In those final moments, what would I have them remember? And I bring this up, this painful question, because it it sheds some light on where we are in John 14. We've been going through the book of John almost the whole year, and we're in John 14. Jesus is now done with his public ministry. He's in the upper room with his disciples, and he's about to give them some of his final teachings. John chapter 13 through 17 by theologians is called the Upper Room Discourse. And it's beautiful and it's symmetry and it's style. But more than that, this is Jesus in his final private moments with his closest friends. And Jesus is giving them final bits of wisdom. He's giving them final assurances before he's tortured, before he's crucified. Truly, these are his parting thoughts his final parting thoughts on that side of the cross. Now, Jesus knows he will see them again, right? He's not saying goodbye yet, but, but woven in these final chapters that we're going to look at in John, you, I want you to see something. I want you to see Jesus' heart coming through as he knows these are his final hours. And he says some things to them. And if you put that emotion over it, you, you begin to see why Jesus is saying and more of the emotion of what Jesus is saying his final moments before the pain and death grab the narrative. And so he starts in chapter 14 with some amazing hope. Remember, this is the upper room final moments. He says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Now that is something that that not only the disciples needed to hear and they'll need to hang on to if over the coming day and hours, that's something that we need to hang on to. The chances are right now in your life, your heart is troubled from circumstances, loss, brokenness. But he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and I will get you. So you will always be where I am and you will know the way I am going. He says, don't, listen, I'm going to be leaving, but don't let your hearts be troubled because I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm preparing a place. And I just want to say, if you're here today and you have lost a loved one, I want you to be reminded of this today, that God has prepared a place for that person. God has prepared a place. And you know what? That place is prepared. It's it's waiting. It's, It's waiting for you as well. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. This is a beautiful thing to hear from the Messiah, their rabbi, in these final moments. The Son of God is preparing a place. He has prepared a place for your loved ones who have already gone, and he's preparing a place for you. You, And he says, you will always be with me. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but, but Jesus has prepared these places for those of us and those we have lost. They aren't, those who have lost, they're not absorbed into the energy losing their personality, losing what makes them unique, losing their identity. No, as God's son and God's daughter, they are welcomed by their father in heaven and he has a place for them. And he welcomes them into his home. They're unique and welcomed. And for many of us, we look forward to the day when we're reunited with those that we miss so much. 
And then Thomas, one of his disciples, is hearing this, and he doesn't quite grasp this place or how to get there. And so he asks in verse 5, Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus, in the next sentence, declares something that either the Son of God or a madman would say. There's really no other option. He's either insane or he's the Son of God. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except for through me. A sane person doesn't say that. But the Son of God, on a rescue mission to ransom the souls of his followers, he says that. Now in John, there are seven I am statements we've been going through, and this is number six, and there's so much weight in this one. Now he says that, listen, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except for through me, and he's preparing a place. I just want to make something very clear that sets Jesus apart from so many other things is that when we pass from this life, we're not just headed to a destination. We're headed to a person. We're headed to the Father. That's who we meet. He says this. Let's look at this verse. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for through me. What is so heavy about this statement? What is so heavy about this one verse is that it's chock full of absolutes. Have you noticed that? There's no kindness. There's no sortas. I'm kind of the way. I'm a relative truth, and I'm, I'm sort of the life. There's no wiggle room. It's not like, hey, and no one comes to the Father except for through me or any other path. He, he doesn't leave those. John 14, 6 stands as an absolute truth in a relative truth culture, in a culture that says kind of and sort of and maybe to almost everything, in a culture that uses spectrums of truth to tell us that your truth can be whatever you feel. A culture that says what is true for me may not be true for you. And a culture that tells us there is no absolute truth. It's all relative. And I'm going to say some things today that will have the opportunity and ability to make some of us uncomfortable. But it's only because our culture has taught us that eternal divine truths are not determined by an eternal divine God. But instead, eternal divine truths are determined by our feelings. That it's our feelings that get to dictate the truth of our faith. If there's a teaching that I don't feel good about, well, I don't have to accept that. And and we reject if it's true or false, not based on fact, but based on how it makes me feel. And I want you to know this, this really only works in faith. I want you to try this in other places in real life, because here's the truth. You know, you're driving, and you get pulled over by an officer, right? And you get that feeling when the place is behind you, and he pulls you over. And then they approach you, and she, she approaches your car, and, and she informs you you were speeding, and that you're going to get a ticket. But that doesn't feel good. A good God wouldn't want me to be unhappy with the ticket. And so she, you look at the officer and you inform her that you're glad she's found her truth. But my truth is that I, I wasn't speeding and I don't get a ticket. And it's at that moment we find that there actually is truth out there that doesn't really care about our feelings. 
You see, it doesn't work in parenting or marriage or work or real life, but for some reason, when it comes to spiritual things, divine things, we think that our feelings are probably what we've been equipped with to decide what's really true for us. And so we say things like, I found my truth. Have you found your truth? I'm glad you found your truth. And to dive right into the deep end, um, we feel good. It feels okay. It feels better. It takes the sting out of things when we say, I'm glad you found your path because all paths lead to one place. But we miss that that is a feeling-based belief. If all paths lead to one place, then Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is trivial, pointless, and needless. But we also miss the truth that the Bible says that many paths with one destination is absolutely incompatible with the words of Jesus Christ himself and the word of God. So then we have to ask, and this is across the board with any spiritual thing, we have to ask if, if Jesus says this, if God's word says this, but my feelings say this, who's right? Who am I going to partner with? Which path am I going to take? Or more likely, go, we go with our feelings and pretend that Jesus didn't say that. Like, ah, he didn't mean it like that. He didn't mean that. Or if that part of the Bible, you know, that part of the Bible isn't true. That's outdated. But for now, we, we feel different. But who knows what we'll feel in the future. I might have a different tr- truth out then. It feels good to speak in truth, to speak in terms of feel-good eternity. It really does. It takes the sting out of conversations. It, it ta- it's easier than to say, there's one way, and it's Jesus. So how do we reconcile our faith when Jesus, the Son of God, claimed that there was one way? No other way but one. Yet our culture, and perhaps in this room and online, our own feelings tell us that that just doesn't feel good. We're going to be looking at this during today's sermon, and today's sermon is going to be difficult in some places. God has asked me to speak some truth about this, but let's dive deeper into what it means when Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. First of all, he says, I'm the way. And this one's pretty, we have gone over this one a lot. Jesus declares himself to be the one way to the Father. This is for salvation, that Jesus came, died, was buried, and resurrected so that we could have access to God that we would have a path to the Father. Remember, all paths don't lead to one place. One path leads to one person, the person of, G- the person of God, the Father. And I love that, that, that our faith leads us to, to a person, to, to Father God above all things. Not just a place, not just a destination. He is the way. Jesus is the way, and there is no other. And then he declares himself the truth. He declares himself like, I am the truth. Absolute truth, not relative truth. Truth is something that if it's absolute truth, we as humans need to adjust ourselves to it. Truth is something that if it's absolute truth, we need to orient our life around it. You see, after we come to Jesus as the way, that's called salvation, we're then called to follow Jesus into what's called sanctification. Everyone say sanctification. That's a great seminary word, and it means sanctification is the process of making something holy. Or to put it simply, sanctification is becoming more like Jesus, which is the point. After salvation, we're called to sanctification, to become more like Jesus, to adjust our lives to his truth, to become more like him. 
the spirit of truth and God's word that calls us, they draw us, and they strengthen us. But I just want to remind you, and you already know this, that it's not an easy process becoming more like Jesus. Is it? Like in salvation, Jesus did the work, and we pray, and we receive it, and he makes us new. But on the other side of that, when it comes to becoming more like Jesus and following Jesus, we have some hard decisions to make. Because there's places where we're not following Jesus. In this room, there's places where we're not following Jesus in his truth. And I just want to tell you something, and this isn't popular these days, but that's called sin in the Bible. When we are not living according to God's truth. Now, this is the part of the sermon where the preacher holds up his Bible. And I'm going to pound on this thing a lot, okay? I'm going to hold it up, I'm going to pound on it, and you're going to see some veins. Because that's what you do during a sin, right? A sin sermon. In fact, I heard this one minister... um, He was going to teach his congregation about sin. And he said, next week I'm going to preach about sin. I want you to go home and to really help you understand next week's sermon. It is imperative that you go and you read Mark 17 to prepare your heart. The following Sunday, they all came back in. They gathered and he got up to deliver his sermon. And he asked by a show of hands, how many of you prepared your hearts today by reading Mark 17? And the hands of the congregation went up confidently. And the minister smiled and said, well, Mark only has 16 chapters. So get ready for a good sermon. <laughs> you know, anytime a pastor starts to, to talk about sin, oh, it's so hard, right? Like we have church wounds from our past, and we've been told we're this and we're that and the other. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about sin in, in terms of grace, in terms of Jesus. And I want to just make it, I say this a lot in this, in this place, that whenever we're confronted with truth, we can either feel condemned or convicted. Condemnation drives us away from God while conviction draws us toward God. And my prayer today in this place and as we listen is that when we hear the truth and see where we're maybe off a little bit, we are convicted to come toward God and adjust our lives to him. You know, it's interesting when it comes to sin, I get a lot of conversations, emails, and messages for people asking me to stand on this stage and give a sermon about one particular sin issue or another. I'll have one person over here who thinks I should preach about this sin. It's imperative that I do. And then I'll have another person tell me I should preach about this sin over here. But you know what both of those people have in common? Neither one of them want me to preach about their sin. Yeah, it's about that sin that those people are doing. And I always find it interesting that we, we all have maybe one sin that we think we should really be nailed home. Because if there's a list of sins, and I just want to let you know there is, I went online and I searched list of sins, and it was longer, I mean, it was longer than I even knew. I didn't even know some of the words existed. I, was, I tried out new sins all week. No, I'm kidding. No, but there were, some, <laughs> there were some things I was like, I don't even know what that is, and that's okay. This, the list was big. It was long. And, and things like gossip on there. But, they, I mean, we know this. Gossip, that's, that's not loving people when you, you speak poorly about them, when you, you, you destroy their character behind their back. It also includes sloth which means hours of scrolling Instagram or gaming or insert whatever your thing would be. It's kind of a gray area, isn't it? Or, or about gluttony, which asks questions about where we overconsume entertainment or food or, or whatever. And here in John 14, Jesus, at the end of his life, is addressing something important that we need to look into. Jesus says, I am the truth. And if he's the truth, it is us who needs to look at that and adjust. You see, we have the Bible that instructs us on sin and salvation and truth, but we also have something else. Or should I say someone else? Because here in John 14, Jesus says this in verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. He is the spirit of, what? 
the spirit of truth. But you know him for he lives with you and will live in you. In verse 26, he repeats it again. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Like the spirit of truth comes and guides us and teaches us and reveals the truth, the where we're off. He says the spirit of truth is going to come and, and live within us. And if you, if you have come to know Jesus as the way in salvation, the spirit of truth lives within you, a divine resource. And so if we combine the spirit of truth within us and the word of truth that he's given us, the two main ways he speaks to us, what then do we do with sin? If, if truth is God's way of living and anywhere I'm off the truth, that's sin, what do we do? Because again, God leads us, he's, Jesus is the way, he leads us to salvation, but if he's the truth, he should lead us to sanctification, which is becoming more like him. So let's look. I want to look at our relationship with sin. I know this is fun stuff. I know this is interesting for all of us, but I want to look at a relationship with sin because this is important. This is an important teaching today. And we're going to look at something Paul wrote in Galatians because he's going to talk to us about different natures and what's going on inside of us. And for many of you, it's going to describe your daily life. I know it hits me. He says this. Paul says, I say this. Let the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, guide your life. He's saying exactly what Jesus said would happen. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature requires. A sinful nature within us. The sinful nature wants to do what's evil, which is opposite of what the Spirit wants. Now we have two sides. And the Spirit gives us desires and th- that are opposite of the sinful nature. These two forces constantly fighting against each other so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Have you ever been in church and heard an amazing sermon from a preacher, had the best of intentions, and by the time you hit the front door, you forgot about it? or the game started, or you got an argument on the way home. I mean, I've made the, the greatest intention promises in church and walked out, and by Tuesday, I'm like, oh, I, I forgot all about that. He says that you are not free to carry out good intentions because there is a battle between your sinful nature and God's spirit within you. Let that sink in. There's two natures. God's spirit who within you desires what is good and right and true and wants you to have love and grace and the other sinful nature which gives us desires to do what is selfish and sinful and as one person put, tricksy and false. Like, like there's these two natures within us. Have you seen this battle in your life? I have. I, I can admit this. Yeah, I see this battle. A desire to do what, what God wants, what is right, but also something battling against this. Something that is fighting against it. This is the battleground. A battleground in our thought life, in our heart, in our spirit, in our, in our life, all our social, emotional relationships. So when it comes to sin, let me be very clear, because Paul's going to continue writing about some things. He's just told us there's two natures, but he's about to show us the evidence of the two natures. And this is going to be uncomfortable for us in some ways. But he's going to show us what the sinful nature looks like. He's going to show us what the spirit nature looks like and why they battle and how they battle. He starts first with the evidence. He says this is the fruit of a life who's living out of its sinful nature. He says this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. He says it's obvious. It's very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, and lustful pleasures. And Jesus made it clear that it's not just lustful pleasures you act on. Jesus says, man, it's what you think on. It's your thought life. Then he's, and I'm gonna go, he keeps going through these. Then he says there's idolatry. He says that's on the sin list. Putting something above God. That there's something in your life you have more affection for than loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then he says spiritualism. 
Spiritualism is the sin of interacting with spirits other than God, seeking spiritual guidance or input from other spirits. And they put this in our paper to tell us what our future is based on some stars. But that's okay. Then there's hostility. Hostility is mentioned. And, and like hostility, like, what sin is that? What it, the root word means is enmity. And enmity is when you make a group or a person your enemy. Now, this is sold and celebrated by the media. And we have made enemies on this earth and in this nation and in this town with people over factors that God asked us to love. God asked us to give grace. And the Bible says that if we are uh, with hostility and enmity of making people enemies, we need to look at that. Then it has quarreling. It says quarreling. The best way I can describe quarreling is to go to Facebook and go to the comment section of anything. That's quarreling. <laughs> Have you ever been with somebody and you know, like you tell your friends, don't bring up this with them. Don't even bring it up. Like, you know, so, so here's the deal. I know we're passionate. I know we have passionate people about politics and pandemics. And we, we're a passionate church. But here's the deal. Does, is quarreling something that comes out of your passion? Because it's here on this list of things that are the fruit of someone living from a, a sinful nature. Next is jealousy. Just good old-fashioned jealousy. And then it says outbursts of anger, being quick to anger, being triggered to outbursts of anger, letting other people have, be able to pull the trigger on your anger. Then it says selfish ambition, the desire to put yourself forward above other people or build your kingdom more than building God's kingdom. And then the next two I put together because it, it's so interesting, dissension and division. And this means, it means at its root, dividing people into factions, which is fascinating. If I'm causing dissension, I am actively putting division between groups of people and making sure that I am putting that division in there. I'm sowing that. That's when I refer to those people who do those things. You know, gossip does this on an individual level. Did you hear what he did? It's putting division right there. But on a national, on a broad level, division is at its worst now, isn't it? We are the divided states of America. Division is everywhere. We, we have taken the bait on division. And the question is not how do I fix the nation. The question is what do I do with my own heart? What do I do with my dissension? What do I do where I have actively participated in dividing my friends and the town and my people groups? And what do I do? Am I a voice of division when it comes to things like politics, pandemics, and personal biases especially? And all I'm asking here is if, I, if you are, you might want to examine yourself. Romans 16, 17 says this about division. Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in the way that are contrary to the teachings you have learned. Keep away from them. You know what I did when I read that and I put all this together? I just turned off the news. I, turn, I, just, I just muted the people who every single night want to tell me the division between me and them and those and these. And then and I'm like, oh, because it doesn't it make you emotional. As soon as, as soon as division and dissension is sown in your heart, emotion follows after it. I don't need anyone actively putting division between me and the people that God is asking me to reach out to and love. I'm more interested in them going to heaven than them coming to my side of whatever issue it is. I'm more interested in them coming to heaven than coming to my side and my opinion. Next, he says envy. This is the state of discontent. 
in my life. It's desiring another person's possessions or qualities, something that they have. And we literally have apps that prey on this. And now there's proof. Facebook had an internal audit done and they found that their partner Instagram exploits the emotions of people in a negative way and lawmakers are looking into this. Here's some quotes. The journal cited Facebook studies that over the past three years that examined how Instagram affects, especially its younger users, with teenage girls being the most notably harmed, one internal Facebook representative said that among teens who reported suicidal thoughts, that a percentage of them could be directly traced back to their Instagram use. 32% of teen girls said they felt bad about themselves or their bodies after being on Instagram. Facebook also reported that 14% of boys in the U.S. said Instagram made them feel worse about themselves by being on it. And let's not pretend that if we're adults, we get out of this. Anytime we want to put up that perfect, we want to present that perfect picture, the perfect me, we're playing into the envy game. We're trying to play into that, and we're comparing. He says that envy's on there. He finishes with this, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I said before, anyone involved in this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I got to admit, this is a really hard word. Difficult, hard truth to adjust to. All this list. Go down through these. Paul says these are the practices of a person living in selfish nature. Their selfish, sinful nature will be involved in. And, and church, if Jesus is, is the truth, he's declared, I am the truth. And he gave us the word, which is the truth and the spirit of truth. Then it is us who need to adjust our lives where we are off. Instead of using our feelings to justify where we are off. Those are some hard verses. And if you're anything like me, if you're like me, you see yourself somewhere on that list. If you don't, you should probably come do my job because... <laughs> We're all on there somewhere. And that's why I wanted to highlight this, that, that, that we're all on that list somewhere. And I want us to call that list what it is in our own life. It's sin. And God calls us out of sin to walk in truth. And God calls us out of darkness to walk in light. And he gave us the spirit of truth to resource us, which is the very next verse that Paul gives. After giving that list, then he goes, Let's give, let me give you another list. He gives us the list of the person who's living based on the spirit of truth. If we're living based on the spirit of truth, these things should be more active. This should be the fruit flowing out of my life. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience. Oh, give me more patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. He shows us two lists. It's always fun when a, have you ever had a pastor just pull out a list of sins and go through them one by one? Welcome to the orchard. Glad you're here today. This is kind of an is. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the truth. It means there's an absolute truth out there that we need to adjust to. And when it comes to the places that I'm out of line, it's so easy to just move beyond it and move past that truth and go on with my life. Because often, we get caught up in other people's sins, the, the list of their sins. We get caught up in other people's lists of sins and we get pretty comfortable with ours. You ever notice that? We see the list and, and we think that the church should highlight maybe one or two of those particular ones, like do a whole series on that one sin. But instead, let's look at all of them. 
they're all there. How do you, are they ranked? No. Instead of looking at the ones we think are bigger than for someone else, God asks us to look at ourselves. That's, that's what we're asked to do. First and foremost, investigate my own self. And Jesus dropped a truth bomb about this very thing in Matthew 7.35. He says this, Jesus says this, Why do you worry about the speck, the sin in someone else's eye, when you have a log in your own? How can you even think of saying to them, let me get rid of that speck for your eye? Like, you should fix your sin when you can't even see past the log in your own. And he he says, hypocrite, deal with yourself first. First remove the speck from your eye. Then maybe you can see well enough to help them. So we have this list. It's rooted in the truth that is Jesus mapping out the way that we're supposed to live. And ironically, this is ironically, that sin list, and you won't believe me at first, that list of sins, that's really good news for us. It really actually is good news for us. Do you know why? Because we're all on it. It gets all of us. It means that there is equal footing in our need for Jesus. It means that there's equal footing in our need for the Spirit of God to help us. The sin anyone once, the sin anyone once preached about is right up there with the very sin that person's also struggling with. And the sin that I believe I should be preaching about, I have to check that because I'm, it's right up there with the one I'm dealing with. We're all on equal footing when it comes to this. We all come to Jesus in need of a Savior we all come to Jesus in need of saving and cleansing from our sin. You see, after salvation, we each walk in the grace of Jesus and we each battle our own list and the hope is that we're adjusting ourselves to be more like him. Here's another truth that I want to plant deep within us. Anytime I compare my list to somebody else's list so that I feel better, what I'm actually doing is justifying my own sin. You don't want to take your list of sins and compare it to somebody else's. This is for you. This is between you and the Spirit of God. You are responsible for your spirit, your heart. So you take that to Jesus and deal with that. Sanctification is the process of making something holy It's the process of following Jesus to become more like Jesus. If you follow Jesus as the way to salvation, then on the other side of that, it's following him and adjusting to his truth to be more like him. But it's not an easy process. Let me tell you about it. We got a new dog this past year, a puppy. And when you have a puppy, you need a fence. And I needed a fence in my backyard. And so we started calling some fencing companies. And I found out that fence is really expensive. It's not so much this, the, the, the lumber and the things you use for the fence. As I looked at the cost of having someone make a fence for me and the cost of me getting the things for the fence, the difference of those two was actually just a lot of hard work. We didn't have the money for, to have someone else come put the fence in. So with that said, I got to go out there and start building a fence. Isn't that a lot of fun? Who in here, you guys built a fence before, dug fence? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, come on. So I'm out there, and, and there's no auger. There's nothing. It's, it's by hand, and I, I inherited my father's handyman skills. Um, and my mom even, yeah, my mom is laughing over there, yeah. 
So watch some YouTube videos, talk to some friends, but it, pretty much, I, you know, you measure it out. I'm really good at being really, really, you know, I'm just so good at this stuff. And so um, I would dig these holes, and then I would put the fence post in it, and i put rocks around it. And, and, and you guys know what a plumb line is? A plumb line is where you hang a line down, and you see how far you're off. It tells you how far off from the truth, if that's right there. It shows you how far off you are. Now, you know, not having a plumb line, I just kind of eyeballed it. and was like, okay. That looks really straight right there, you know? And I had, I had a friend with me, and, and he would go, okay, a little, little left, and I'd just tap it a little bit and put some rocks down there. And so, so we got it all lined out, got this, and it's, it's all easy until then you pour the concrete. And when the concrete's wet, I can still move the fence post. I can still go from one to the next and go a little bit off, a little bit off. I want it to be straight. And if I'm a little off, it's going to be hard. And so I, I would straighten them. Now, when the concrete's wet, you can move it. When the concrete settles, do you know how much work it would take me to adjust that even an inch over? I don't know because I tried and I couldn't do it. I don't, know, I don't know how much effort it would take me. I don't want to find out, but it's more than I have in me right now. Here's the deal. Um, when, it's, when the concrete is wet, you can adjust it pretty easy. When it settles, it takes a lot of work. You know, in our lives, there are sins that aren't set yet. They're not settled and there's some things today you're going to have the opportunity to adjust in your life, to bring into alignment with the plumb line of God's truth. But I know, I know in a room with an audience like this, there are some of us in our lives that we have sin issues that it has settled. The concrete is settled. And maybe today you feel trapped. Maybe you've tried to get out. You've tried to adjust, and it's been a long time, and you're stuck. And if that's you, I would say, for those big adjustments, those deep adjustments, heed my call today, and please get help. Email myself, my father. We do, we do confidential counseling. Go to see a counselor. Tell your growth group leader. Tell a trusted friend or spouse or, or find a group, whatever it would be, to, to, to get the help to adjust those places in our life where we are off from the truth that is settled. And after, after this sermon, we're going to have people in the back to, to pray with you if, that, if you'd like some, some confidential prayer in some of these bigger areas. You see, the, the human condition often means that sin is hard to talk about, but it's easy to live with. And anytime we discuss sin and, and holiness, there's a temptation, or not a temptation, maybe a reality, that we feel shame. Like when we're reading through that list of sins, like, oh, geez, man, I am way off. And we, we feel shame. We feel condemnation. And again, I told you the difference between condemnation and conviction. My, my hope is today you're drawn into the heart of God. And I want to read something to you from that same Paul, the same Paul who God had write the list of sins and the list of fruits of the Spirit. I want to read you something that God told him, that God empowered him to write because he talks about the spiritual nature, this fight within him. And he gives this intense, he opens his heart and gives this intense look at his battle. Like we think the people in the Bible had it all together, but it's, it's Jerry Springer if you read it. They're, they're just like us. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're struggling in so many ways. And this is Paul who wrote all that about the sin. He says this in Romans seven twenty one: I have discovered this principle in life, that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law. I love God, and I love His. I want to. I want to do it God's way. But there's another power within me at war with my mind. He already talked about that nature. 
This power makes me a slave to sin that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable man I am who will free me from this life dominated by sin. The whole chapter, I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter. It's just Paul pouring his life, his heart out about his brokenness with what he wants to do for God with that nature, but what wars against him with his other nature. This battle he has with his sin. And he ends it with that, oh, what a miserable person am I who will save me from this life of sin. And I always wondered, you know, I love to put myself in the Bible narrative and I always put myself in Paul's place there and, and reading, that, reading that, that chapter as if I was writing it from my heart, it emotionally gets me. I'm sure Paul was emotional at this point. He's pouring his heart out about his brokenness and he says, oh, what a miserable person am I? Who will free me from this life dominated by sin? And I always wondered how long did he pause there? Did he put the quill down? Did he, did he, did he, what did he, how long did he stop? Stuck in the reality of his brokenness, but then empowered by the Spirit of God. He picks up the pen and he continues to write. He says, thanks be to God. The answer is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And there it is. There is no answer, there is no other answer to the question of saving other than Jesus. And there is no other solution to the issue of sinning other than Jesus. And thanks be to God, it is Jesus Christ our Lord who gives us life and forgiveness and hope and strength to fight. Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except for through me. I'm the way. That means salvation is first. Jesus did the hard work there. He says, I'm the truth. That's sanctification, becoming more like him. And we have, church, we have work to do there. And then he says, I'm the life. Following Jesus and, and adjusting to the truth over time, as we, as we do this, as we adjust our lives to his truth, you know what? We should look more like him. We should act more like him. We should speak more like him. We should love more like him to the point, Orchard, when we go to our job or we're at home or wherever we are, that people, when they come into contact with us, they're, they're coming into contact with the likeness of Jesus. And all those benefits, the love, joy, peace, patience, that's what they're receiving from the life of someone who's living according to God's plan and purpose and adjusting to the truth. That's sanctification. That's becoming more like Jesus. That's becoming more holy. That's the work on the other side of salvation. That, that is following Jesus. He's the way. I need him for salvation. He's the truth. I need him for sanctification. And he's the life. I need him for full life transformation. Jesus claimed in John 10, 10, we talked about this. I, he said, I have come that you can have life and life to the full, the full measure, overflowing life. Like you should have a life that overcomes the chaos. Jesus not only overcame death, but he overcame, he overcame so you could have a life here now. He didn't just save you so that someday I go to heaven. He saved you so that now you could have a life full. That through him, you can step into a destiny and a way of living that you never could on your own because you're empowered by his spirit. You have a calling and a purpose and a destiny. Amy and I had a car break down, which is always convenient. It's even more convenient when it breaks down and they say, well, it's going to cost this much to fix it and it's worth this much. Those are always great days. Uh, and so we had one of those and we always have been the kind, you know, we, we're not, you know, 
fancy car people, and so we'll buy whatever's practical and, and run it until it dies, and that happened. But we wanted to kind of get one that's going to last us for a while and safety and all those things. And so we bought a newer car, and, and it's the weirdest thing. You guys are probably way beyond me on this. This car came, it didn't have a key. There's not even any key. There's no keyhole in there. It has, you have this, this fob, and you put it in your pocket, and the most confusing thing for the first month, I couldn't, I was like, I would get out and they'd beep at me and like, turn off engine. I, I, I did turn on it. I, I, I don't know. And so I, we're learning this car and, and I'm, I'm trying to put the fob in the door and the, all these things. And, and in fact, I didn't believe that it wouldn't let just anybody in. Like it knows I'm close, so it lets me in. So I go put the key away and then try to get in my lock car. All that stuff. Anyway, the key is important. The key starts the car. Uh, we've all known that, but this key's different. I, we learned this, interestingly. We were at City Market. I was, it was a Monday, a family day. That's my day off. Monday, I was driving. Amy next to me, the kids in the back were in City Market. I was going to go inside and do something. They're going to run an errand. We're going to meet back, right? I'm driving. I get out of the car. She jumps in. I, go, I just start walking inside City Market. It's a busy day. There's lots of people, lots of cars, and she pulls off and away. And as I, right before the front door, I hear my name, Daniel. I turn around, and <laughs> it's my wife. And she's 50 yards away, good distance, and she's walking toward me, walking toward me with a little smile on her face, pleasant. Remember, people everywhere. And behind her is our car sideways in the, in the main entrance exit of City Market. And I, I was like, I always knew she would snap, but I didn't know this would be the time. <laughs> Happy anniversary. And so I, I'm, she's the calm one in the family. I'm the high-maintenance one. And so she's walking toward me with this very gracious grin. Like, and I'm yelling at her, going, what are you doing? Amy, the car's in the middle of the parking lot. You think, and like, she, like, she doesn't know. She's like, oh. And, and she didn't yell back at me. She just, I go, what are you doing? And she walks up and she goes, my dear, can I have the key? The car shuts down if you don't have the key. <laughs> I'm sorry. You get too far away from the key. Things stop working the way they're intended. You wander too away from the way God wants you to live. And things stop working the way you intended. Jesus said, I am the life. And your life and your heart and your mind and your emotions, your relationship and your marriage and, and all those things, they need certain elements to operate as they were intended, as they were created, as your destiny with God as it was. And we wander too far away from the path, from the truth that he has for us. Things don't work as they intended and some things begin to shut down. When Amy, in fact, Amy and I individually, like we're married, we're a couple, 11 years ago yesterday. It, but we are individuals. And when either one of us begins to wander from God, even if, you know, we're still married, our marriage doesn't work the way God intended it to. For Amy and I, the responsibility of staying close and connected to God is necessary for our marriage to be what God asked for it to be. When you get too far from the things that, from, from God, when you wander too far from God, things don't work as they were intended. You know, we're called to come to Jesus as the way, and that's salvation. 
We're called to come to Jesus the truth and that's sanctification. And we're called to this life of overcoming and living a certain way. And that's Jesus as the life and life to the full. And, 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 there's, and I want to end with a, a couple different ways, but I can't, I can't let this opportunity pass because th- th- here's the deal. I never know who's in here or listening or watching or where in the world they could be. And I never know where God has them today. It could be the only time they hear my, a sermon from us. And so right now, it, listen, there's, there's three. There's the way, the truth, and the life. And some of us, we need to come to Jesus as the way today. For some of us, we have not received Jesus as, as our, Jesus as our Savior. And he says, I am the way. And no one comes to the Father except for through me. And today he invites you to come to him as the way. As the way. And so if you're in here today and you have not settled that in your heart, but today you want to, then I want you to pray a prayer with me that declares Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and risen again, and that you give your life to him. And and what we're going to do is we're all going to pray together. But if you want to pray to receive Jesus as your Savior, as the way, I want you to pray, to speak out loud, and believe in your heart as we pray this. So pray with me. Jesus, I need you. You are the way. I know you lived and died. I know you rose again. I give you my life. Forgive me my sins. Holy Spirit, fill me. In Jesus' name, amen. For others of us here today, we, we have come to believe. By the way, if you pray, ever pray to receive that in this place or listening for the first time, will you please email me at daniel at theorchardlife.com? I'd love to connect with you. For others of us today, we have come to know Jesus as the way at other points in our life. At other places, decades ago, days ago, whatever it would be. But today, we're not going to wrestle with, is Jesus the way? We need to wrestle with Jesus as the truth. Because perhaps during that teaching through some of Paul's list, it's been highlighted once again that there are places in my life that I need to adjust, where I'm off, where I'm in sin. And my prayer is that there's been some conviction, as there's been for me this week. So today... As we go into communion and as we hold the elements, the, the, the symbol of his body and his blood that were broken and shed for us, I want you to start like this. Start by asking Jesus forgiveness for the places that you're off. Start by asking Jesus forgiveness for your sins and name them. He knows it, but name them. Ask his forgiveness. And then as you take it, I want you to ask that he would strengthen you to adjust to his truth. And again, we might need to put some practical steps to this. One of them is I'm going to have some people in the back. If some people will go back there um, for be available for prayer, you can go back there and get prayer. Also, you can email us. We'd love to counsel with you, whatever it would take. But let us adjust to the truth of who Jesus is.